Welcome to A Better Way Podcast with your host, Ryan Haley. Learn to excel in business God's way, where the supernatural meets the practical. Experience a better way to succeed and learn from real-life business owners and entrepreneurs who have prospered in unconventional ways. Be inspired by their true stories and realize that prayer can become your practical source of provision when you embrace walking by faith and not human sight. And now, here's your host, Ryan Haley. Welcome to A Better Way Podcast. This is your host, Ryan Haley. And for this interview with Isaac Bennett, I split it into two different episodes. Part one, or episode 92, is where Isaac shares his really deep personal struggle with addiction to pornography and getting to the point where he was actually about to take his own life by committing suicide. We talk about the incredible grace and redemption that he experienced with that, and then the breakthrough and the blessings that lead into a really miraculous financial testimony for his church and his new business venture. So make sure to check out both episodes, episode 92, which is part one, and episode 93, which is part two. It's really powerful and very practical. You'll see that we get into a variety of different conversation topics in this interview, and it all comes back to this place where the supernatural meets the practical. I hope you are touched by this and really enjoy it. Enjoy this episode with Isaac Bennett. This week's guest is Isaac Bennett. Isaac, thanks again for coming on the show. Ryan, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely. And we just connected last week through a, a mutual friend of ours, Paul Moore, who's been on the podcast, I think a couple times now. Um, we're all fellow real estate investors, entrepreneurs, business people, and we also have a real strong heart for the Lord. So that's kind of our connection point. But Isaac, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do? You just recently started a new company called UR, and you've got a powerful um, kind of finance slash ministry and church testimony as well. So just give the listeners a little bit of background of what you think would be relevant to kind of kick us off. Absolutely. And I just have to shout out to Paul Moore. Paul is a guy that I met three weeks ago, and I've got to tell you, he already feels like a a, a brother or a father, though I apologize <laughs> for the fact to Paul that I'm giving away that we're a, a whole generation apart. But um, what an outstanding guy. And I think the perfect example of what you're looking for. So uh, yeah, a little bit about my background. My wife and I just recently founded UR. UR is a prefix for five suffixes that we have, five agencies as we call them. We have UR Home, which is my wife's realty business in partnership with eXp. We have UR Well, which is health and wellness. We have UR Abundant, which is primarily what we're talking about here today. That is my syndication company. We have UR Secure, which is a cybersecurity company. And then finally, from a philanthropic standpoint, we have UR Good, which simply pledges 20% of our net income to charitable causes that are near and dear to our heart. So you might ask, UR, what does UR mean? Well, what I found is that when I was talking to my nieces and nephews, or really anybody I wanted to exhort or lift up, I was always saying, you are. So I, I would maybe go to my five-year-old niece and I would say, Collins, you are beautiful. Or Wilder, my, my nephew, I'd say, Wilder, you are awesome at baseball. So what I found is that it was very difficult to praise someone or lift them up without first saying, you are. So the yeah. heart behind our company is that we are a people brand. And that's actually our slogan, a people brand and our website, a people brand. We always want to be about people and we want to have agencies that focus on individuals and people. So UR is a people brand. That's the easiest way I can say it. 
Wow. That's great. And it sounds like you're really kind of putting your money where your mouth is. I mean, 20% of uh, net profits, that's nothing to sneeze at. And, and also the faith to step out and start five somewhat related, but in some ways, very different things all at once. I mean, that seems like a huge step of faith to, because I think before that you were kind of, you know, full-time salaried worker, you were an investor too, but sounds like this is like kind of you jumping into the deep end of the pool right off the bat. Oh, totally. So for 16 years, I was in sales and sales leadership, executive sales leadership, with my most recent position being a, a vice president of sales for a, a manufacturing company, kind of a mid-sized manufacturing company here in Peoria, Illinois. So for a long time, we had been investors and you are correct. This was quite the undertaking and it's very recent. So is it going to work exactly as I have in my mind? Who knows, Ryan? <laughs> but it, it was really wrapping a brand and an idea around things we were already doing with the exception of the cybersecurity company. And we just got an opportunity there. We couldn't pass up with a partner. So it was a huge uh, leap of faith, but it, it, it's kind of interesting in that it was stepping out and giving up the paycheck and the steadiness of all that. But I've got to be honest, it was the type of thing where if I hadn't done it, I would have felt outside of the uh, direction of the Holy Spirit from that standpoint. So mm-hmm. in a certain sense, it's a leap of faith. And in another sense, I, I would have been out of bounds had I not done it. So I almost had to do it. I was so compelled to do it. So uh, yeah, still working through that. I mean, we're 90 days in and still working through exactly what that looks like. Yeah. You know, I think that that sense of being compelled is really important. There's almost like sometimes this compulsion or unction of the Holy spirit, even, and sometimes, especially when it makes no sense in the natural. And for someone who myself, I mean, I was in the military, I had the most steady, you know, consistent paycheck and schedule. Everything was just, you know, so kind of programmed. There was just so many like, uh, things that were kind of just already part of the process and leaving that to be self-employed as a realtor, you know, back probably at this point, uh, six, seven years ago was a huge step of faith. And I think for anybody, whether they're, you know, spiritually inclined or not being self-employed as an entrepreneur, not having that steady paycheck every two weeks or whatever is a step of faith in itself. But when you do that and you jump in, like you did, um, you know, it can be really overwhelming. But what I love about what I'm hearing from what you're saying right now, Isaac, is that it's almost like there wasn't even another option in a sense, because you just felt so clear that that sense of peace and direction that you you would have felt almost lack of peace, maybe by not following this unction of the Holy Spirit to do this pretty radical thing. You're exactly right. And actually, I can, I can boil it down for you what it was. So, and you'll hear in my testimony that I have a long history with addiction in my life. And What I found is that I had broken some other addictions in my life, but I had become addicted to the idea of security. And Mm. that's actually kind of a tongue-in-cheek reason why we named our cybersecurity company You Are Secure, because it was just a little bit of a a shot at (laughs) at that. But um, I, I was to the point where I was so afraid to quit my job and had so much anxiety around that, irrationally even, that I knew that I really could not take that next step of faith without making this decision. So from that standpoint, from a, you know being compelled to do it, I recognized I'm addicted to this. I have to mm. cut this off in my life. And if I don't do that, the addiction is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and be harder and harder to do. So from that standpoint, I had to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, Blake, that's my wife, Blake, we have to go do this because it's what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. And I'm addicted to my security. So we've got to cut that off. And I can tell you in 90 days, I've been through 
such a faith building process. And I, I worked through in the first two or three weeks, I worked through intense anxiety and I'm not an anxious person at all, but I worked through intense anxiety. And ultimately what that was, Ryan, is it was my faith stretching like crazy. So for somebody who grew up in the church and who's on a church leadership team, he's a finance director, I'm, I'm surrounded by, by church and Jesus. But my goodness, I was so lacking in faith in this area that I then realized, oh, God needed to do something in my life in that area for sure. Mm, that's so good. I love what you said that you'd become addicted to security. Absolutely. And as someone who has struggled with both addiction and anxiety throughout my life, um, I think it's really insightful that you were able to like tie those previous ex experiences in your addiction and your journey to seeing in a way that a lot of people probably don't think of or perceive is that there really is an addiction sometimes to security where, you know, the paycheck becomes somebody's God. And then as I was just having a conversation with somebody before we started recording, what I found as someone as a financial, you know, industry professional, there's even with people who have a lot of faith, when it comes down to money, you start getting really deep in the weeds. It's like, it can be very revealing because, and I had to go through this process myself mm. is like, we start, we don't even know that we're sometimes addicted to security or that we're putting our faith in a paycheck or an employer or a job, whatever. And when God calls us out into the deep waters, it's a real faith tester and it's also a faith builder. And I'm glad that you've experienced both of those just in that short 90 day period so far. Yeah, definitely. And I think that part of this was God telling me, Hey, you're addicted to this and it's really unhealthy and you are way too comfortable and complacent in hmm. your life. You're not doing what I'm called you to do. I was deeply unfulfilled in all of these other things. But then yeah. when it came right down to it, I was like, no, I, I tithe and I give above and beyond and I do this. So that, that proves I'm not addicted to it. And God mm. said, okay, we'll see. Not, <laughs> not, like in a, not like in a sarcastic way, but just yeah. like, we'll see if you were or not. And it yeah. took me two weeks to realize, oh, wow, <laughs> that was, I was woefully mistaken about really <laughs> how dependent I was on that. So I look, full transparency, this is something I'm still working through. And, and I'll just be totally honest about that. I continue to fight that every day, but hopefully to a lessening degree every day. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been on that journey for since 2014 is when I got out of the military. And, um, when that last, last paycheck hits, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll see. This is going to be interesting. You know, <laughs> yes, I do know. <laughs> it's going from one extreme of the end of the spectrum to the other, but it's been amazing. And you, I can encourage you and our listeners with this, you know, I am, I wouldn't say I'm comfortable with it. And like you said, absolutely. It's a journey. We're in process, the, the process of perfection of being perfected, conformed to the image of Christ and, and trusting him more. Mm. But I can say that it, at the least I can tell you this. Um, I am more comfortable being uncomfortable being about six or seven years into this journey. And I've been able to make increasingly radical, sometimes very counterintuitive, seemingly illogical decisions. And so I think you're stepping forward into that process where you make it made a huge step. And then the next time it's just like training. If you work out and you talked about wellness, you know, it's just like with the physical body, you don't go in and bench 300 pounds or run a five minute mile right off the bat. You know, it takes a while of building that. And what used to be impossible or very taxing eventually as you get conditioned in that process becomes easier. And 
I find this the same thing with our faith. So I commend you for taking this big first step. I'm sure there will be many others. I, I, I have a sense we'll have some follow-up interviews over the years, <laughs> but I'm, it's just really encouraging to hear you saying this. And we haven't even gotten to the testimony aspect of what you specifically were, were going to share on this, but I just think this is some really helpful backstory for a lot of people listening. Yes, I can. I can uh, confirm for you that it gets a lot worse when I when I get into my testimony. Trust me, this is this is the best part of me. You'll be blown away when you hear how bad I actually am. But no, thank you for the thank you for the encouragement because um, it's great to hear. And I've, we've already witnessed that to a certain degree. And and I would say that my faith has grown to the point where it's it's basically letting it go, letting go of my own flesh and my own uh, desire to control financially related things in my life and, and quite seriously pursuing these things in the spirit. And I think I lived most of the rest of my life that way. And this little area, I just had a death grip on. And so mm-hmm. this, is, this is the process of releasing that death grip and saying, yeah, actually, God, you're going to be better at this than I am for sure. So yeah, we're on the journey. Yeah. And you know, you just mentioned something a second ago I want to touch on because I, I published a book last year And I talked about, you know, my struggles with addiction and my just some really dark, you know, negative times in my life. And um, like you, I'm pretty open book, transparent. And, you know, some people were kind of concerned, like, do you really want to mention that? And I said, you know what? I really do think I need to because, A, you know, uh, right, wrong or indifferent, good, bad or ugly. That's my story. Mm -hmm. And B, I think it's really powerful. We can give people. Um, that before and after picture of like, here's the total mess that I made of my life without God. Mm -hmm. Here's what it looks like with God. Not that it's perfect, but I think that that, that does two things. A, it makes you relatable to people because they don't, you don't just come across as this holier than thou unrelatable person. And B it's also, it makes the testimony that much more powerful because they can see not only your struggles, but also your success, you know, defined in biblical godly terms. And I think that that's really powerful. So again, I want to, I want to, you know, uh, congratulate, commend, and uh, thank you for being willing to do that publicly um, in this forum. Yeah. And right back at you. I'm going to have to go pick up your book and read it now because I'm extremely interested in what you're talking about. But you said relatability. And at the end of the day, I the amount of times that I have shared my story, even in the last just few months, where I have shared something that then opened up the avenue for whomever I was talking to, to share something back that was incredibly intimate or personal I, I mean, it's probably happened a dozen times in, in 60 days. So it is already creating such a pathway for people to be able to um, really maybe unload the things that they're struggling with in their life. And I think this is especially difficult for men as we just, we bottle yeah. everything up. We don't talk yeah. about it. The, the secrecy causes additional problems. And, and you, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not okay with people struggling in silence. And I don't mm. I did it for 20 plus years and I just want to be able to sit down with people and say, look, man or woman, I, there, there is nothing I could possibly do or say to judge you because here's my testimony on this 30 minute clip and you can go know that there's no possible way you were as bad as I was. So there will never be any judgment. But what I can tell you is I can point you to the answer. I can point you to the answer and I can help you where you're at. So it's not me helping them. Of course, it's just me giving them a listening ear. Um, But that's, that's what it's all about for me. Yeah. And um, you know, as you know, and as most of our listeners know, at the end of the show, I always ask people to go on the the statement um, on the record and make a a declaration of faith. And and what I'm going to say right now is 
I'm believing right now that people that are going to hear this are going to have respond similarly to those individuals you mentioned in the past couple months where this could be a really powerful thing. And, um, you know, later on we can share your information out. People can kind of find out what you're up to and get in touch with you and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and make this declaration of faith right now as the host that, um, people are going to hear this and it's going to be powerful. In fact, I had a, a previous episode where somebody talked about that and sure enough, some, one of my friends heard it got in touch with that person. Now they're doing some really powerful, like deep coaching work, wow. uh, working through some serious addiction stuff. So it's happened before. I know it'll happen again. That's kind of the, the root word of, of testimony is uh, kind of do it again. And that's mm. what we're looking at here is that this is not just telling your past. It's also telling other people what their potential future could be. Oh, well, I'm blown away. Uh, first of all, I think that declaration is incredible. And second, I am always wide open to anybody that that needs help or wants to talk through things, um, I will keep it in complete confidence. I'm not a counselor, but I am a listening ear and somebody that can uh, provide a lot of, of context for, for this type of thing. So I think that's wonderful and I'm more than happy to do that. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that because like I said, at the end, we'll, we'll share your contact info and how you can, uh, people can get in touch with you. Um, but with all that said, now I'm interested to hear, because I don't think we've actually talked about this yet, Isaac. We just talked briefly the other day. So well, let's just dive into the deep end of the pool in this context right now and, and just share with us, you know, what that testimony looks like and, uh, you know, what, what God has, has helped you through that process in becoming. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think it's, I'll try and give you a condensed version, but um, just kind of starting at the beginning, I was raised in a Christian home and I was raised in a home from my early days that was a, you know, Bible-believing, spirit-filled home that for reasons I won't really go into, family reasons, there was a little bit of a stray from that where I think that the Holy Spirit began to be suppressed in my environment when I was about three or four years old is when it probably really started. And just a brief anecdote on that, I certainly hadn't planned on sharing this, but I think it's relevant. I had a recurring dream as a kid and I had no idea what it, no idea what it meant. But I had a recurring dream as a kid where I was walking into a room and I probably had this dream 15 or 20 times with no context. I was walking into a darkly lit room with a little bit of a focus on a faucet, like a water faucet, just slowly dripping, drip, drip, drip. Had no idea what it meant. I had no idea what that meant until about three years ago when my wife told me about a recurring dream that she'd had growing up as well. Now, Mind you, I'd never told her about this dream. It had no significance in my life. But my wife said, you know, I used to have this recurring dream, and I want to know if you, if you know what it means. I said, okay. She said, you know, I used to walk into a room as a kid, and this happened all the time. I would walk into a room, and there would be a faucet that was turned off, but it was slowly dripping. I said, Blake, you, you, I, I went white. And I said, you have to be kidding me. The same recurring dream. Oh, and wow. What we, yeah, what we found out, and you can go look into this. You can believe it or not believe it, but I believe it firmly. What we found out is that the meaning of that is that the environment that you're in, the Holy Spirit is being quenched. The Holy Spirit mm. is being oppressed or quenched or any other word that you might you know, use to describe that type of environment. And I, and I got to tell you, that was uh, so true of my environment. Everything had shifted. Um, so then if you fast forward a little bit, I'd, I'd had this dream moving forward. If you fast forward, um, I got exposed to pornography when I was around 11 years old. I actually don't know exactly when it was, but I was exposed and then exposed again and again. And I, I mean, I might as well have been shooting heroin because it was, 
I was so incredibly addicted by the time I was even a teenager. I wasn't even physically developed and I was totally addicted, which wow. is a real problem because it wasn't even a you know, it wasn't even an adult sort of understanding of what it was. It was true. I was truly a a child. And, uh, so by the time I was probably 14 or so, I was totally and utterly addicted. And, um, that had a increasingly deleterious effect on my life. Um, my entire view of women was just degraded absolutely terribly. And my relationships all became a mess with my family, with uh, subsequent girlfriends, um, on and on, uh, to the point where I, I was just utterly suicidal. And I think thoughts of suicide for me started um, around 15, probably. And they got increasingly, there's actually phases to this. There's phases of suicidal thoughts, and I won't break them all down here, but I can see in my life as I worked my way through these phases. Um, so by the time I was in my twenties, I was thinking about suicide every day. And then, you know, I would say as I worked into my early to mid twenties, I was thinking about it every hour. And then it got to the point where it was the only thing that I could think about. I just wanted it all over so badly, so, so badly. My entire life was just an abject lie. I, I was, relatively skilled at creating facades around my life that said, Hey, I'm this Christian. I go to church. I do this and that and the other. It was all a complete lie of addiction and suicide and, um, just all manner of, of terrible things. So, um, I'm not sure if you want to interject there, or if you want me to just kind of keep going. No, I was curious. First of all, thank you for being willing to, again, so vulnerably and transparently share that. Cause I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would think this and I'm sure that the first thing the enemy does is he always tries to isolate us and make us feel like we're alone, that nobody can relate to us, that like we're the only person dealing with this thing. And uh, so here you guys are hearing right now, if you're listening to this, you're not alone. This is somebody who's dealt with, I haven't had to deal with that specific type of addiction, but you know, everybody's got their version of it. And um, do you think that there's a, a strong link between the pornography and the, the suicidal ideations or, um, the suicide kind of that spirit is, is there a connection between those two? Yes, I do. Um, it's a wonderful question. And actually, if I can back up just a minute and talk about the isolation that you just talked about, Mm -hmm. um, one of the defining characteristics of my addiction was isolation. And I, and I think that it's so closely tied to suicide. Um, when I was a kid, I was homeschooled all the way through high school. And this is in, in no way meant as a slight towards my parents. But by the time I was in about fifth grade, um, my mom was really sick with a, a thyroid uh, sickness disease. And um, I had very little instruction and then very little companionship as well. Very few friends. Um, you know, I was friends with my siblings, but that was complicated and, and they had sort of their own things. So I did my schooling almost completely alone in my room. Mm. So I, I, I mean, I, I would say both psychologically, spiritually, and literally physically, I would wake up alone. I would do my school alone. I would, I would watch porn alone. I would mm. go to sleep alone, you know, and, and it was just this cycle day after day after day after day after day after day after day of this. So 
if you want to talk about isolation, I was so incredibly isolated that I, I believed things that were, I'm, I'm certain were deeply untrue about how people felt about me and my family felt about me and all these other things. And then, you know, if you fast forward a, a little bit to the, the suicide standpoint, yes. I mean, no question that, um, pornography and isolation and an addiction like that are absolutely tied so closely to, uh, to suicidal thoughts. And, and, you know, ultimately some people who, who lose that battle. Um, and, and I'm incredibly passionate about really just talking through isolation and addiction for these very reasons, especially for Christian men, because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the statistics that I've seen about Christian men compared to non-Christians or any other religion, they're not all that different for those that might, you know, have pornographic uh, addictions or something of that nature. The numbers are almost exactly the same because guess what? We're still wired the same way. So mm-hmm. I, I think to answer your question, ultimately what it was for me is I was the environment that I was in and I was personally suppressing the Holy spirit in my life. And man, that was a desolate, desperate place that I was in for really two decades. Wow. Two decades. And I imagine, again, I don't want to, I can't really share personal experience from this, but I would imagine that it's kind of a vicious cycle because as you get isolated, um, that's not healthy to begin with, obviously. Then as you start, especially as a Christian man, like you said, or even a Christian child, yeah. As you start engaging in that pornography and where there's isolation gives kind of that, that latitude for the darkness and the enemy and the temptation to come in. I would imagine it also leads to a deep sense of shame that makes you oh, want to yeah. cut yourself off from other people, furthering the isolation, you know, ad nauseum. I mean, you hit it on the head. It's exactly correct. I think that the shame was so pervasive that I believed that, my family would disown me if they knew these things. So I, I guess if you continue with the story forward, it was, so I got married in, in 2013. Uh, I had, I had just turned 26 and, uh, you know, I had, I, I was unfaithful, unfaithful to my wife, um, during our dating relationship shortly after we got married. And this was all, this was all stemming back to the addiction because I just had such a warped viewpoint of, my relationship with women and especially specifically my wife. And that exacerbated the shame. Getting married exacerbated the shame a hundredfold. Because before that, I felt like I was sinning against myself, which which is not good. It's not better. I mean, that's what the Lord says about sexual sin is that you're sinning against yourself, right? But there's a sense of it that's like, okay, I'm just damning myself, like literally, you know, I'm, I, that's, it's just about that. But then when, when Blake and I became serious and engaged and got married, that ratcheted up the shame and guilt a hundredfold. And I don't think that's an exaggeration because then it was, she was my best friend and somebody that I, I never thought I'd have a friend like her, which was probably also a lie that I believed. But suddenly I felt this enormously deep sense of not deserving to be with my wife and having, Mm -hmm. having broken this vow that I took very seriously and all of these other things. And so from the time I was 26, I I would profess to people, I won't see my, my 30th birthday. And I, 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 I hid my depression, my severe depression the entire time. 
my wife knew to a certain extent that I had depression, but even my siblings and my close friends did really did not know. So I would tell people, I don't think I'll live to see 30. And what I knew and they didn't is that I believed it would be uh, by my own hand, that it would be, mm. that it would be suicide. So by the time I was 30, I was planning it. I was planning on how I would do it. Wow. So that's another really interesting thing that you mentioned is that you would think, I mean, I would imagine most people would think like the isolation would end once you enter into this glorious union with your, your spouse, you know, and a lot of people put a lot of, um, I think too many eggs in that basket sometimes, but it's interesting that not only did that not help you, it actually made things a hundred times worse because now you're dealing with isolation and shame and depression and in very close contact with somebody else that you really do love, but that, you know, it can feel maybe even more isolated since you're right there with them, but so far away in a sense. Oh, totally. It, it ramped up. It ramped it up so fast because I was so devastated that I was now dragging somebody else into this vortex of awful. And I think that that is what ultimately made me hate myself so much more was that now I was actually hurting somebody that I loved. I didn't love myself. So before, mm-hmm. because I didn't love myself, I didn't hate myself as much because there wasn't that conviction or that hatred of, of mm-hmm. what I was doing. Now, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I was hurting somebody I deeply loved. And, and that did just, just amplify it so much. And, and that is one thing I would, I would encourage people with. If you're in a serious or committed relationship where you're, you're contemplating marriage or something like that, but you have some hidden uh, addiction or sin or something else in your life, you need to talk about it and address it before you get married because yeah. one to respect the other person and two, because it will get magnified and amplified as everything does in marriage. Mm-hmm. It will get magnified once you get married and it will not get better. It is not a panacea. Marriage is not a panacea for addiction. In fact, it's probably mm. the opposite. Wow. That's, that's pretty sobering, but I think that's really important wise counsel because for a lot of reasons, even, you know, this kind of addiction aside, a lot of people, you know, like you said, marriage magnifies everything. And so, um, you know, when you, uh, when you have a whole number multiplied by another whole number, there's a multiplication. Mm-hmm. When you have a, a fractional number mm-hmm. times, especially another fractional number, you get even further divided. So four times four is 16. One fourth times one fourth is one sixteenth. Yes. So that's an interesting multiplication is good if you're whole. But if you're fractured and, you know, you're, you don't have that sense of wholeness, it can actually make things worse. Well, that's an incredibly poignant point. And I can tell you that the first five years of my marriage were an example of fractional multiplication. And the mm-hmm. last three years of my marriage have been an example of rebuilding to some whole numbers and then seeing multiplication from there. I, I, I'm going to shamelessly steal that, uh, <laughs> that poignant, poignant analogy there. That's really good. Well, we're both numbers guys, as we'll probably talk about in a little bit, but, um, I, I, something, I don't know if the the Holy spirit showed me that or, or what happened, but it became like, yeah, that was a, a pretty big revelation for me. I've never actually been married, you know, but mm. um, I'm hoping that's coming soon, but it's, I realized it's not the panacea. Like you said, it's not the cure all. You've got to be whole. You've got to be comfortable with yourself and your own identity. And if you're putting your identity in someone else or vice versa, it can be really unhealthy. And now, Obviously, on top of that, you've got this deep-seated addiction and all of this stuff that goes with it. So, okay, so you're 26, you get married, it multiplies a hundredfold, you're planning to take your own life by the time you're 30. 
tell us what happens <laughs> to avert that outcome. Yeah. So I guess there's a natural ellipsis there, isn't there? So, um, you know, I spent the next several years, uh, married to Blake and, um, doing the best I could to continue faking it. And, uh, frankly, I was a workaholic where the only thing that got me out of bed in the morning and overcame my depression was knowing that I would go to work and work 10 hours. And I traveled a ton. My, um, in my twenties, I went to 50 diff- over 50 different countries and did business in over a hundred. So I was gone wow. a lot. And I think that was, you know, just a salve that I used to try and, um, paper over my, my pain. Um, so if you, look at really 2017 and 2018, I had gotten to the place where it was just abject warfare and uh, not to make light of you know, yourself having been in the military, what actual literal warfare looks like, but this was spiritual and psychological warfare. Yeah, no and um, it got to the point where it was either confession because I had hidden this from every single person in my life, my entire life or suicide. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was confession or suicide. And, um, in 2018, in the middle of 2018, my wife was, uh, going to the, um, going out to Redding, California to go to the Bethel school of, um, of worship. Not sure if that's exactly what they call it in the school of worship, I think is what they call it. And she was going to be there for about 10 days. And, um, you know, I spent that time plotting how, how I would end it and how I would kill myself. And, wow. and, and I really, you know, selfishly, I wanted to do it while she was gone. So somebody that could, could come upon the scene would come upon it that could handle it, that could emotionally handle it. So one of my brothers or my dad or something, um, you know, so I was planning these types of things out and, you know, there were things going through my head, Ryan, like, um, you know, my sister could tell my nephew who's named after me that he was actually named after my brother-in-law who's also named Isaac. You know, that, that was the type of things I was thinking and, 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 and thinking things like, well, you know, they can tell my nieces and nephews who are a huge part of my life. They can tell them that I died in a car wreck or something like that. You know, I was coming up with all these alternative stories to what that might look like. So, um, the day my wife got back from that, obviously (laughs) I didn't do it. My, the day my wife got back, um, my nephew was born. My little sister, who was my best friend, had her first son. And I really felt like that was the grace of God that allowed me with this little boy, Atlas, um, you know, Atlas holding the world on his shoulders. He held my world on his shoulders. He really Mm. did. Wow. So this was in, I think, August, late July or August of, of 2018. And I spent the next three months begging God for another way other than one of these two outcomes. (laughs) suicide or confession, which, you know, looking back now, it's like, of course there was no other, no other outcome. But I, I, I viewed myself as in the trenches of France, you know, and, uh, facing maybe machine guns on the other side and the machine guns I had conjured up in my mind were my family and my wife and the public and, and how the church and how all these people would react to the things that I was going to confess. decades of debauchery and, and otherwise. And in October of, of 2018, I got to the point of saying, you know, I'm going to choose confession. Mm. And, um, I will never forget this day. It was a, 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 a crisp day in October and I was sitting in my office, uh, 
and I G chatted my, my little sister. And I just said, Holly, I need you to, I need you to get a cup of coffee and sit down and, and take a few breaths. And, um, I'm going to tell you a story. And, um, I pretty much told her everything. And she said words that I'll never forget and terrified me. And she said, okay, you need to tell Blake tonight. And I said, I, I cannot do that. She said, okay, then you need to tell her tomorrow morning. I said, okay. She said, Atlas and I will come over. Atlas was a newborn, you know, he's two months old. And, uh, so the next morning, uh, she knocked on my door at, at before 7am and I sat at our kitchen counter and I had written Blake a letter and it, it confessed everything. And I wrote her this letter and I fully expected it to be the functionally the last day of our marriage. And I fully expected that she would hate me and that my family would disown me. Um, except Holly, that was the only person that I was absolutely convinced would, um, our relationship wouldn't falter. And rather than facing the machine guns on the other side that I thought I would find Blake leapt out of her chair and, and held me as I wept. And wow. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I had no idea Ryan, what grace was until that moment. I had no idea what love was until that moment. I had absolutely no idea what Jesus meant until that moment. And then Jesus leapt out of his chair in the form of grace in the form of Blake and held me as, as I, as I wept. So, um, mm. needless to say the next year wasn't all as sort of beautiful or, or, or poetic as that it was an incredibly intense challenge to rebuild our marriage and rebuild, um, my relationship with Blake and, and what that looked like. But, uh, I want to, I want to just interject real, yes, real quick do. here. I mean, that, that hit me real hard. I mean, I, I started to tear up as you just said this, because like you said, not only was, were you not getting mowed down by machine guns, but literally like the, the exact opposite response from a person who was basically the physical embodiment of Jesus at that time that not only didn't jump up and, and slap you and scream at you and divorce you, didn't sit there in stony silence, literally jumps out of her chair and hugs you. That's, that's such a powerful example of, of what God's grace looks like. It's not only not what you think, it's literally the exact opposite. And whether that's in the realm of finances, business, you know, whatever, or a deep addiction and, and battle with suicide. I mean, just being able to bring that out into the light is so important. And I mean, like I said, I mean, I can't personally relate to that, that exact thing, but I mean, it's hitting me hard right now. So I, I'm believing again, back to my declaration, people are hearing this, bring it into the light. If you're hearing this, Isaac has just given you an unbelievable example of what grace looks like in, in the flesh and, and just don't keep that inside. Don't, don't just keep suppressing that and letting it get worse. Just let this testimony. And I believe in this is going to be awesome. I can't wait for people to, to reach out and tell you about this, Isaac. I mean, that's amazing, but uh, I just wanted to interject that because I mean, it hit me real hard just now. Yeah, definitely. And I think that honestly, um, I think it's important for people too who might be on the receiving end of, of news or, or or a confession like this to hear this too because 
I'll be honest, I, I didn't have anywhere near that type of grace that my wife showed me. If she had, if it had been the opposite, I think I would have reacted totally different. And that, um, that humbled me as much as anything is to recognize how much less I was able to offer somebody in relation to how Jesus offered himself for us than my wife was. And, um, you know, to this day, I'm just dumbfounded by what she did. And um, I'm dumbfounded by how willingly she has rebuilt um, our marriage and our life together with somebody who had faked, you know, the first 10 years of our relationship. And um, I, I can't, I mean, the amount of times that I've had the reaction that you just had is, is it's been so many times, Ryan. And, and I will just say that I put this out there for one reason and one reason only, and it is to help people and to give them the courage and the avenue uh, and, the, and the support to, to do what they need to do to confess the things that might be in their life that could be impeding um, you know, their calling or their relationship. So um, by all means, I'm an open book. I'm happy to help anybody who wants to pursue that. And, and I really do feel that's going to happen. And um, I think, you know, before we go on here, just one last thing is, you know, you can't give what you haven't received. And, and like you said earlier, you didn't have love for yourself. No. So how could you have grace for anybody else? If you right. never, if all you experienced almost your entire life was crushing shame, condemnation, guilt, and isolation, what well would you have to draw from to offer somebody that kind of grace? You know what I mean? Yeah, I was drawing it. Anything that I did offer people, and I was um, I was not a very loving person. I mean, I would say I was way too critical of people and cynical and um, pessimistic about things. And the reality was is because I had no grace to draw from. And I had no recognition of what Jesus had done for me. And the only thing I had to draw from was my shame. And I could draw from shame and sort of empathize with people but I couldn't offer them the profound grace of Jesus. All I could offer them was the shallow and embarrassing and ridiculous little pool of shame that I had to say, yeah, I know where you're coming from type of thing. But Mm. I can tell you it's totally different today. I look at people totally, totally differently. Um, And uh, yeah, I just, I just put that out there so people know where I'm coming from and that um, I'm, I'm here to help because I'm every bit or more fallen than anybody else out there. Mm. Well, that's a powerful place to minister from. So, um, yeah, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And, um, yeah, I like that you mentioned the person who might be receiving that who is in Blake's place. Um, just keep that in mind and, and realize that, um, this has much more to do with, I think the other person, not you. So this has more to do with Isaac than it had to do with Blake. And luckily Blake had the, the grace to give. And she, she didn't, you know, because I could imagine how, especially for a woman that probably could like, it'd be easy to internalize that and feel like there's something wrong with you, you know, Mm -hmm. as the woman, in this case, it had nothing to do whatsoever with Blake. You loved her so much. And that's what actually made it worse once you get married. But, um, so anyways, that's just Mm -hmm. great lessons all around. And yeah, that, that hit me hard, man. And uh, I'm believing it's going to hit the listeners hard too. So obviously a transformative hinge moment, if you will, in right there and then having to work through some stuff. And now we're, you're talking about, you know, so October, 2018 is when the big confession came out. Now you're working through things in the next couple of years. Now, somehow you're, you're able to hold down. It sounds like a pretty decent job doing fairly well as a sales guy traveling all over this. It's pretty amazing 
what human beings can endure and still put on that face. I mean, you were, it sounded like you were productive. You've been an investor. We'll probably talk about that later. Um, but, um, what started to look differently other than obviously some really deep self-work and marriage work and, you know, probably spiritual and, and emotional healing. What, what did kind of, cause obviously now you're at the point where not only you overcame that addiction, but you've also just in the last three months overcome another major addiction of financial security and the kind of the, the God of mammon worshiping the job and the stability. Um, how do you go from that place in October, 2018 to now you've started essentially five different ventures all for the purpose of like helping people in these different ways. Um, what did that journey look like? I think it was somewhat complex. And, you know, I think we talked offline actually about uh, this other addiction that was revealed in my life, because when you are as addicted to something as I was to pornography, it's a little bit like having um, a pain in your body somewhere, call it a toothache where your knees might hurt but you don't ever think about your knees because the, if you've had a, a, a terrible toothache, you know what I'm talking about, because all you can think about is your tooth. Mm. And that was what pornography was for me in that I was so addicted to it that I, I didn't have any idea what else was going on in the rest of my life. And right. you know, if you start looking into the science behind it, um, pornography really messes with your brain really bad, yeah. especially if you're exposed when you're young. It can, it can have a very deleterious effect on your short-term memory. It, can, um, it changes the way you think about everything. It crushes your self-worth, all these other things. So, um, yes. I think it also like, prevents being able to form intimate connections with other humans too, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you keep everybody in an arm's length. And I, I will admit that's still a problem for me. I still, tr- I still struggle with intimacy, uh, especially in a friendship, from a friendship standpoint, which is maybe a strange uh, byproduct of what this is, but it's... It's true. I, I still struggle with that. I keep people at an arm's length working on it. <laughs> um, doing a heck of a job, I'd say right now. Yeah, working on it. So um, to, to fast forward in that, I, I think that after October 2018, it became clearer and clearer what God wanted to do in our life and what our calling was and, and how we were supposed to move forward. So it was actually in May of 2018 that I actually birthed the idea of UR and told Blake about it on our fifth anniversary. So this is pre-confession, but I'd already had this idea. Yeah. I'd already had this idea and didn't have a fully formed really understanding of what that would look like. But since then, once we were able to rebuild something of a foundation and that took a while, I would say that took 12 to 18 months to get back to a place of saying, truly, I'm not that person anymore. I'm, I am actually a trustworthy person. Um, still an addict. And I'm very, very open about that too. It is still something that I fight to this day that it didn't all turn off that day. And that's something else that people need to understand is like, just because you confess does not necessarily mean that your brain is back the way it should be. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, but we, we rebuilt a foundation of trust and from there, things have moved pretty quickly from a business standpoint. We, we were investors before, but stuff started to fall into place that we needed to really take a leap of faith in this area. And you mentioned it, that what was revealed in my life is that I had a nearly as severe addiction to security and to a paycheck, a, a really good paycheck, and that I was withholding my faith in God so tightly in the area of finance and business. And, and that was feeding this addiction. And I had to let it go. I was so compelled to let it go that I, I 
actually felt like I had no other choice. It wasn't as severe of a, of a consequence as, as what my previous one had been, but I felt like I had no choice, Ryan. Mm, that's really interesting. So there's a couple of things I want to highlight here. A, I find it very interesting that you, despite the devastation psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, even physically that you were going through, the Holy Spirit was still, there was almost like kind of the rose that grew through concrete, you know, to quote Tupac Shakur. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like, there's that an urban reference right here, but you know, like That's in awesome. the middle of all that hardness and, and just like death, you know, inside, there was still somehow that, that inspiration to what is now what you're full-time doing in this incredibly redemptive way in the marketplace. Um, even then there was like those little green shoots coming through just the devastation and by confessing it and then dealing with it and working through it, I find it interesting that we've now bridged the gap between, you know, a very personal internal struggle to now what's starting to have an economic, financial and business aspect um, impact because you were able to connect those two things. You knew what addiction looked like at this point, And you knew that it was not even, it was a non-negotiable, that this was not something you could mess around with. It's not even a choice. I'm going to do this. So again, we talk about where the supernatural or the spiritual meets the practical. Um, it's just so interesting because people want to live their lives financially or otherwise, as if they're completely Mm. separated and compartmentalized. Mm. And I've done some teachings on this recently, and we are not compartmentalized beings. We are, we, we are integrated beings, whether or not we realize that even if we fracture ourselves, you know, um, if we do that fractional multiplication, you know, all the aspects of our life affect all the other aspects. And so it's interesting that we're seeing this connection between a very seemingly unrelated thing to now it gets into this business and financial economic kind of dynamic. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but I must say before we go on, rest in peace, Tupac. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I I think, I don't know about a rose growing through the concrete, but there was at least a dandelion, (laughs) you know, there was was some sort (laughs) of beauty. Yeah. Some sort of beauty in that weed. Um, But there's a lot to unpack there. I I, I think one of the most profound ways that this has shown itself and it is certainly showing itself through our business, but if we go back to, to February of 2019, um, I'm a finance director, it's volunteer position, finance director for our church. And we were about uh, five and a half years old at that point. And we'd, we'd rented our entire, um, you know, history as a church and setting up and tearing down in, a, in an event plex every week. And it was very taxing on the volunteers, of which most of us were. And um, I, I profoundly felt the Lord tell me, hey, you need, and actually, I felt the Lord tell me this almost to the day that I, I confessed to Blake mm, wow. that I was walking through limelight, this event plex at setting up for church. And the Lord said, Hey, this has been your home. It's not going to be our home for much longer. And I said, okay. So fast forward a few months and, um, our church went to Haiti, uh, to do some missions work down there. And we're working out in the heat and building a structure, a medical structure for a complex there, a life song, uh, complex. And, um, I, I again felt the Lord say, and, and people, and people sometimes want to talk about these moments, like they're these seminal moments and you get this vision. It's not that way for me. It's a still small voice. It's not and a flaming chariot and, no. a, and a scroll being unfurled in the sky. Isaac, is that what you're telling me? Moses? No, I'm, I don't get to talk to Moses and lie or anything cool like that. No, sometimes it's just, is you, usually it's through, through quiet moments in work. And in this moment, you know, I was cutting door frames out of metal containers with a you know, a saw. It was, it was nothing. Talk about supernatural and practical, supernatural and practical. And, 
there were a couple guys working alongside me that I knew were people of means. And one of them was a builder. The other guy was a kind of a, a, a cat caterpillar, um, you know, very successful guy, wonderful, wonderful men. And I just felt like, Hey, you need to make a commitment to this building thing that I put in your mind and you need to ask them to do it with you. So Steve and Tim were their names. And so I said, okay. So we got done and went and got our rice and beans and sat down at eight. I said, Steve, Tim, can I have just a few minutes of your time? Yeah, sure. So I asked them both on the spot. I said, look, will you guys match 10 K each and uh, start a building fund? You know, actually add, we'd, we'd started a building fund. Will you add to this building fund and kickstart it? I said, yeah, sure. So I kind of had in my mind as, as we humans do, Hey, 12, 24 months from now, we'll go buy a building for this church. And, um, Unfortunately, what year is this or what time frame is this? That this, this is er- right now? early 2019. So this is okay. So this is after the confession, almost a year to the day. You said, uh, at one point when you gave you the idea, like the connection point, and now you're taking action on it. Yes. So almost to the day that I confessed, he gave me this idea. And then four months later we were in Haiti and mm-hmm. sat down and, you know, I, I had in my mind that we would be a, it'd be a 12 to 24 month process to find a building. Well, the problem was, is I had asked a builder, a guy that does for <laughs> a living to help with this thing. And man, if you give a builder a hammer, he's going to find a nail. Mm. So, uh, so Steve, he calls me like less than two months later. It's probably six weeks after we got home. He says, Hey, Isaac, let's go look at this building. All right, whatever. So we go downtown, downtown Peoria warehouse district. There's all these renovations going on. It's right across the street from the ballpark. And we look at this building and almost immediately I was like, Steve, we got to do this. We got to do this. So a uh, very long-winded version of saying, we bought that building in 2019. We have been raising money for it ever since. And I will tell you, we had no idea where the money was going to come from. I can't tell you how many G-chats my sister, Holly, who works for the church, and I have had trying to figure out where this money was going to come. But if I give you the- So to very- clarify, they had already bought the building, but it needed significant renovation and rehab work. That was what the fund was for? It needed about three times as much money in rehab as it cost to buy it. So- <laughs> And how much was that? If you're okay with sharing that I with the audience, totally, to yeah, I'm totally fine with it. If I'm, if my memory serves me, we paid three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for the building, and we thought it needed about a million in renovations. Wow! So you know, these are my back of the napkin calculations at the time. So not just something so. you can raise at a lemonade stand over the weekend. <laughs> no, and we had no money. We had no money. We were like, well, how is this going to happen? And my sister, who has enormously more faith than me, was like, look, if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen, man. Stop worrying about it. She told me that. Wow. I mean, she told me that 75 times. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm revealing how little faith I have in this area. So anyway, we, we kept raising money, kept raising money, kept doing this, didn't know where it would come from until we got to the point where we're like, I think we can get a loan for this. I think we can make it happen. I don't know if you've ever done church fundraising, but total debacle. The whole thing is just impossible. <laughs> so, so all of that to say, quite literally, Yesterday was our first, today we're recording on a Monday. Yesterday was our first service in our new building. Wow. And yes. So and today, it, just for the record, so everybody gets this, uh, today is Monday, July 12th. Yesterday, your first service in this building that you thought was going to take 12 to 24 months, just 12 to, to 24 months, just to, just to find it. You had your first service yesterday, Sunday, July 11th, 2021. Yes, that's right. Wow. So we, 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 and I, I got to tell you, it was, it is immeasurably better than I ever could have imagined. And, and it's, there's an additional layer to this story that is just so incredible. And this, I think, is the confluence of marketplace and the Holy Spirit and business and, 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 you know, faith. But 
one of the things that I was experiencing is what going around to individuals and trying to raise money for this thing. And I, I made kind of a joke about it. And I got, I have to say, there have been so many people that have been so incredibly generous with this. And I don't want to make light of what they did. It was incredibly powerful, even through my jests there, but I was tired of it. I was tired of raising money. And so one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to build in retail space in the church because it's in the warehouse district. It's valuable space. And thought, you know what, let's design this, talked with the architect, let's design this to where we can actually rent out this space, um, you know, a portion of this building that we maybe don't need. So we did that. We designed this space and and set this office there. Now, mind you, this is like uh, the middle of 2019 that we did this. This is over two years ago. And we designed this little office space, thought, great, somebody will rent it out, that'll be fine. Well, fast forward, we get through COVID and all of that mess and everything that it was, and my wife and I decided in, at basically on January 10th of 2021 that we were going to go out and do this. And it just so happened that we were going to hire several people at, at the same time to start. To do what exactly? To start you are. Yeah. To start you are. And um, all of that to say is we ended up renting the retail space for our <laughs> business for you are from the church. And so today, Monday, I actually left that office for the first time. We had our first office day at that office yesterday or today, sorry, after our first service was yesterday, Sunday. So all these things came together in this building in such a miraculous way that of which you are now the tenant. You are, you are tenant. That's actually a good yeah. name for the tenancy. No. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, you are is now, is now the tenant. Yes. And pays yeah. and pays rent to the church. So that all, that all came together in a truly miraculous way. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that that worked out pretty well for everybody in God's, you know, ways and timing. It seems like, uh, you know, I haven't, I don't know this, but the way these things usually go on these kinds of, uh, testimonies is uh, I'm willing to bet you got a pretty good deal as the tenant. The church got a great deal as the landlord. You're obviously super excited as the kind of champion of this whole fundraising project, you know, from this idea from God. Like, I mean, um, I just find it amazing how God works things out in ways we never would have thought of. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'll be very specific about what happened because this is truly, my sister and I were just talking about this yesterday at church. So as little as a month ago, we didn't know if we had enough money to finish the renovations, all the last minute things that you have to do. And there's a thousand details to get done and um, maybe call it six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, we were still looking at each other and going, don't know if we have the money to do this. So Blake and I had decided, hey, look, and we put this forth to the leadership team. We uh, excused ourselves from the decision-making progress so we could stay uh, above board from an integrity standpoint. We said, look, we'll pay for 10 years of the rental space up front. We'll pay 50 grand, put it up front so we can actually fill the gap of the money we need for renovations just to say, look, this is how we can get to the end of this renovation thing. And, and we did that about two months ago. We said, look, we'll do this and do it. Well, Fast forward to yesterday, and my sister and I are, 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 are sitting there, and I said, Holly, we have a hundred and the church, the church has $120,000 in the bank, and we're done. What happened? <laughs> she's, she's like, I have no idea what happened. We didn't give the 50000 We, we oh, never you had hadn't to. even done it? No. Oh, my gosh. No. So, in effect, we were about one hundred and seventy grand above, above, <laughs> beyond where we thought we were. And maybe that just makes me sound negligent as the finance director. But I can <laughs> tell you, I have no idea how it happened. And I checked that account 
every transaction multiple times a day for a year. And I have no idea how we ended up with 120 grand in the bank for the church. That so, sounds like impossible math that God would do. That's it, and, and you are, you seem very intelligent, very detail oriented like me. We connected on that level. I am no doubt that you were not negligent, that you knew every penny, you know, cause you were probably checking that sucker every couple of every days, you know, day. <laughs> yeah. every day to the point where we had said, okay, in our human flesh, we were going to have to give this 50 grand somehow. Let's make it a little, a little trade. I, I, I've never experienced something that was so loaves and fishes as that. And, and, you know, my sister, she's, like I said, she has way more faith than me. So she was kind of like, yeah, I told you. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Let me, let me explain the numbers to you though, Holly. Like you understand. Yeah. I know. I know. That's what's so awesome. Um, like I've seen this over and over again. I think back to things. I'm like, wait a minute. And I'm really good at checking up on numbers. It's kind of my job, you know, and my, my yeah. passion as an investor. And I'm like, sometimes it's just the math doesn't add up. And you're like, what the heck? You know, it's like, like you said, the loaves and the fishes. I love, if you guys haven't seen the chosen, uh, I just watched the season um, finale for season two yesterday, but there was one part that especially, and if you haven't seen this, Isaac, and any of our listeners who are more investing and in financially and numerically inclined, there was one um, about where God does impossible math and it was about the impossible catch. You know, they have this huge tax debt and Peter goes out and uh, this is like the first time that Jesus really experienced, uh, you know, connected with Peter and they have just, just this boatload, you know, breaking boat, breaking load of fish that they get totally impossible. And, and then there was a really cool behind the scenes in the, um, you know, where the, the producer Dallas Jenkins and the creator are talking about all this stuff and how even that, um, show itself had impossible math. And I think a big part of it, honestly, Isaac, is that you were willing in your heart, you had consecrated that $50,000 at a super early stage startup business venture to go towards this thing. And I think it's sometimes it's kind of like, you know, Abraham and Isaac with the, you know, mm. the ram and thicket. It's like you had made that commitment in your heart. And then God's like, well, that's cool. I actually don't need you. To, I just want to know that you are willing, right? Because that's another layer of you right now going through this journey of giving up control and security and trusting God. And look what happened. I don't have much to add to that because you said it better than I possibly could have. It, it was, that was exactly what it felt like. It felt like the Lord bringing the ram out of a thicket and saying, here's the sacrifice. And, um, yeah, I, like I said, I have nothing else to add to that, Ryan, because that was exactly how it felt like and how it went down. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I might have experienced one or two of these in my own time, too. So, <laughs> you know, we can start to relate to these things more. But that's just what's so cool about all these things is that you see how all these parts of us as whole human beings come together and the Lord puts those broken pieces together and starts connecting dots. Like what I'm doing right now with um, financial planning, insurance, and then personal coaching and ministry and this podcast, like there's so many seemingly disconnected random things that have now just like perfectly converged in ways I could not have imagined. And it's because God was just showing me like, this is all part of one thing. This is all part of who I've made you to be personally. This is part of the calling and the, you know, the impact that you're going to have in, in our case in business, as well as in ministry and it's just, it's just, God just puts these things together in ways we cannot possibly comprehend or predict. That is the end of part one of this interview. You can tune in next week for part two in episode 93. And again, I just can't encourage you strongly enough. If you're dealing with addiction, pornography, suicide, fear, or any of these things that we've talked about, Isaac really is sincere about people reaching out to him. So you can email him again at 
Isaac at a peoplebrand.com. That's in the show notes. And also feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you guys. You can email me at ryan at godsbetterway.com. We really believe that these powerful, very personal testimonies are going to minister to people and make a profound impact in your lives. So bring those things into light, reach out to somebody. And again, don't forget to tune in next week to the very powerful conclusion of this two-part interview in episode 93. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Better Way Podcast with Ryan Haley. For more information and to discover more episodes, visit abetterwaypodcast.com or search us on iTunes, TuneIn, or any of your favorite online audio sites. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes or send us an email. Have a suggestion for who we could interview next? Let us know on our website. Finally, A Better Way is listener-sponsored. Help us to further the message of kingdom entrepreneurship by supporting us financially. You can give online on our website, abetterwaypodcast.com. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.